Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle West. I'm joined by my partner in crime, regular co-host. He's been here every single week. I can't make that claim. Mr. Chris Hill. How's it going? It's going well, man. Guys, stop trying to body shame Mary Wiseman. It's just not called for. Seriously. Oh, is that going on? Yep. She is a beautiful woman. And she actually looks healthy. Well, we'll talk about this for a minute, actually, because, okay. you know, I, I have a daughter, albeit two years old, and uh, <laughs> I'm surrounded by women in my families and such. Mary Wiseman plays Tilly on Star Trek Discovery, and one of the things that people have always loved about Tilly was her body shape, her, her size, her yeah. weight. She wasn't stick thin. I've heard a lot of podcasts where women have said they finally had someone who they could imagine themselves being. Yeah, and, and in our, Star Trek. our own network example, Brandy Jackala. I think actually it's Brandy who I've specifically heard saying that on air. So Brandy, who's been on this show mm-hmm. a few times. I did see one or two comments on Facebook about uh, Mary Wiseman's weight in the third season. I kind of ignored them. It seemed very petty. Yeah. And a lot of time, the people say in these comments don't have their face in their profile picture. Yep. And you think, right, let me let me see if they've ever shown their face. And they <laughs> haven't. Right. So this person who's too afraid to show their face on social media is going to start making comments on other people's. Exactly. Like, piss off. Also, it is true that the camera does add some weight as well. Mm-hmm. So however any of us viewers think Mary Wiseman looks, she will look different in person. And quite often, these people who on TV look uh, larger than we expect to see on TV, mm-hmm. uh, because we've, we've been trained to expect stick thin. These people who we think are larger actually are just exactly like us Yeah. when, when you see them in person. And let's not forget as well, Chris, that she is surrounded by people who are a lot thinner Mm -hmm. on TV as well. So Hollywood does have a real keen interest in slimmer actors as well, well, male and female actors. And that also can make someone who doesn't fit that mold perhaps look a little different, a little larger than maybe they are. The truth of the matter is, though, Chris, as you said, it's it's none of our f***ing business. No. And so she could be the biggest woman in the world. It wouldn't matter to me. (laughs) If she can act, if she can play a character, a Mary Wiseman can act. Definitely. Tilly is going to go down, I think, as a legend of Trek. Yeah. When it's all said and done, in 20 mm-hmm. years, there's going to be another similar character to Tilly in one of the new Treks. And people are going to say, oh, this isn't real Trek. They're just trying to copy Tilly. Uh, Mary Wiseman was, was 10 times better than this new person. <laughs> so, But I'm pretty sure you and I are going to be like, well, let's give it a chance. And actually, she does, she does do a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll still be here doing the Enterprise podcast. <laughs> I don't know what we could be talking about in 20 years on the show. A different audio commentary on Precious Cargo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably about the 10th one we've done. <laughs> Trying to find something new in Precious Cargo that we can talk about for the future. 
Okay, so what we are here to talk about this week are the Valakians, the Menk, and the conundrum of Dear Doctor. Mm-hmm. This is a very, very popular first season episode. It's kind of been lost to time over, well, over time. But when it first came out, people considered Dear Doctor to be the first, quote, unquote, Star Trek episode of Enterprise where they felt that the show was tackling a it's not so much like a political issue or something but a real world potential issue serious discussion that you could have about uh, what was going on in the episode and that's what we're going to do today so this is not a Dear Doctor review episode I want to make that very clear so if you're expecting that we'll get to that one day yeah we're just going to be focusing essentially on the A plot so I mean we're going to be really breaking I guess about 85% 85% of the episode mm-hmm. uh, apart, really. Uh, but we're just going to talk about the Valakians and the Menk and obviously the illness and the decisions that were made by the NX-01 crew. Now, before we do that, a little bit of business. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon. Patreon details will be dropped uh, later in the show, but you can type in patreon.com forward slash NX-01 podcast to uh, look at our page and see all of our pricing tiers. We're so thankful to everyone who does Mm -hmm. support our show already. It makes a difference, guys. It really does. And I love the extra engagement we can have with people through our Patreon as well. I am not prepared to walk away based on a theory. Evolution is more than a theory. It is a fundamental scientific principle. Forgive me for saying so. But I believe your compassion for these people is affecting your judgment. My compassion guides my judgment. Captain, can you find a cure? Doctor. I already have. Two days ago, When we first discovered the alien shuttle, I had no idea that I'd be facing a dilemma of this magnitude. For the first time, I find myself in conflict with my captain. But he is my captain, and he's placed a great deal of trust in me. I believe I owe him the same. I only hope that he's willing to look beyond his sympathy for these poor people. to the Valachian Hospital. Sir, it would go against all my principles if I didn't ask you to reconsider what I have reconsidered. I spent the whole night reconsidering. And what I've decided goes against all my principles. Someday, my people are going to come up with some sort of a doctrine. Something that tells us what we can and can't do out here. Should and shouldn't do. But until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive, I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play God. Right. Let's get into it. Let's just do it. So what I'm going to do, Chris, is I'm going to... Just run through the kind of order of events mm-hmm. from beginning to end of what goes on in this episode related to 
this illness. So this is almost in like a bullet point form. It was um, notes I was taking as we went on. So it could be that given my kitten was attacking me at the time, <laughs> it could be that some things I may have got slightly wrong. But let's see if you correct me at all. Uh, Enterprise discovers a small pre-warp vessel in space. Uh, there's two people on board. Turns out that they left Valakis, I think the planet was actually called, over a year ago. And in the year before that, over 12 million people died on the planet of the Valakians. Phlox actually had detected this illness before our main Valakian woke up. So it's obviously something that's very clear straight away on any scans of the body. We discover there's over 50 million Valakians on the planet. We never get a set number, but... I assume it's closer to 50 than it is 60, given that 50 was the number given. So this disease mutates, and it can't be stopped once it gets into your respiratory system. I don't know why, but that obviously gave me little flashes of Mm COVID-19. I can put a visual to this now that I couldn't before, you know, and I was thinking of all those social media videos. Yeah. People who unfortunately passed away from it put up, you know, they... They're on oxygen and they can barely talk and breathe. And and that's kind of the visual I was getting with this now. So there's like an added layer to this for me as a viewer now. But that's what I was trying to picture. Patients die within a few days once the disease gets into their respiratory system. The Valakians consider the Menk, who are another humanoid species on the planet. They look the same, didn't they? Yeah, pretty much. They were pretty pretty close together. Mm. So they consider the Menk to uh, not be as evolved as them, but to be good workers. So there's a good relationship there. And also the, the Menk, as we found out later, they don't get given like any fertile land to live on. So they're dependent on the Valakians, but the Valakians do supply them with everything that they need. Food, drink, yeah. clothes, everything. So the Menk actually are happy with that arrangement right now. So it's, it seems to be a relationship that both sides are happy with and neither side has any resentment towards the other. We found out that the Menk hadn't contracted the disease, but that the Valakians had found no way to use this to find a cure for the illness because they're genetic makeup just didn't match to allow it which does seem odd given that you know they look so similar you would have thought there'd be a way to mix it up mix and match yeah uh, what they got but i do like that the vlakians had tried that they weren't just helpless needed helpless cure they'd looked at that option already flox discovers it's a genetic disease so it's not a virus it is a genetic disease but that it's mutated at a quicker pace the last few generations. He predicts that the Valakians will be extinct within two centuries, but he does believe the Menk may hold the key to cure, even though it's unlikely that there, there is a cure. Yeah. Because it's genetic, is what they're saying. And he says it's been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries, but it's just in the last couple of generations where it's sped up. Yeah. At this point, we don't still don't know how they're going to solve this issue, but we, you know, we discover that the Menk are smarter than we've been led to believe. They pick up English quicker, quicker than I I think Hoshi's able to probably pick up uh, the Menk's language. Uh, one Menk grouped blood samples together by like blood type and family grouping, who was married to who. Flox calls it impressive. You know, he's surprised. And at this point, the Valakian that was saved by Archer and the Enterprise asks Archer for warp technology so that they can find someone to help them if Flox can't find a cure. Now, I'd forgotten all about this. So when it came up, I was like, oh, forgot about that. Yeah. That's a whole other issue. But also, it made perfect sense that they would ask that. Yeah. Yes, we'll talk about that in a bit. Planet-wide, Valakians start contacting uh, the Enterprise, believing uh, that the Enterprise have a cure. So I like this idea, again, that the whole planet was involved. It's not just one settlement we're going to. There's actually a whole planet of people Mm -hmm. there who are now reaching out. Flox 
isn't sure that finding a cure would be ethical as he discovers that an evolutionary process has been going on for thousands of years. That's pretty much word for word, actually, what he says. And that the Menk are having an evolutionary awakening that could take millennia, but could see them become the dominant species on the planet. So what we find out shortly after this is that Phlox does have a cure. But before that, he pitches to Archer that they need to let nature decide. And Archer says, you know, Phlox is a doctor. It's your duty to help. But Phlox reminds me he's also a scientist. And so he doesn't feel this is something they should get involved in, because if they do, it's going to potentially stop the Menk from developing as they should or what have you. So Archer obviously isn't prepared to let the Valakians die based on a theory. As Archer says, my compassion guides my judgment. Perfect line for Archer, that, because that is very true of Archer. Phlox leaves the decision up to Archer, which makes sense, I guess. You know, Archer's the captain, but man, what what a way to pass the buck. So (laughs) you don't have to get any of the crap for it. He lets Archer decide whether or not to give the cure. Archer actually ends up going against his principles, gives a nice little speech, says until Earth creates proper guidelines, he's going to have to remind himself not to play God whilst they're out there. And so they do supply medicine and instructions on how to make more of it to the Vlachians for, I think they gave enough, they said, that would at least help for a decade. I guess more once they can make their own. Archer says he hopes that a lot could happen in a decade. Who knows, maybe Starfleet were working on with Phlox's science uh, to develop something else they make one last plea for the warp technology this one almost feels like it eats archer up even more yeah but he says no because as as he said to paul earlier in the episode you know the the vlakins don't even know what antimatter is yet so to have them experimenting with that could be catastrophic now interestingly as well archer never tells the vlakins that they do have a cure yeah so the vlakins are never told that there is a cure for it so that's it that's all the parts of this episode related to uh, the conundrum of the episode, which is, you know, it's that prime directive episode. And so, you know, do they help the Vlachians at the risk of stopping the Menk from developing the way that evolution is seemingly deciding that they should? Uh, or do they leave the Vlachians to die? It's a toughie, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't even know at the start of this podcast where I fall on this. Well, I'll ask you. Do you have an uh, opinion straight off the bat, or do you sort of find yourself umming and in over this? Probably actually about the same as you are. I definitely see both sides of this issue, because it's not clearly, you know, hey, two people have already are already gone and we've got this person now, but we still love those two other people, so let's get those two other people back type of thing. It's... <laughs> As I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to make a decision before the end of this episode, but I haven't made a decision in 19 years, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it <laughs> before we before we wrap up this show. But did you ever suspect during this sort of, I guess, the first half of the episode that, you know, did you think there was more to the illness? Did you think maybe there was something more sinister or important going on, given how quickly the illness was established? Once I found out that it was genetic... I was thinking, yeah, maybe this is more more of an evolutionary thing and not somebody trying to sabotage the entire race. But up until that point, I was like, well, maybe this is sort of something, you know, more of a, a sabotage type deal with, with the entire race. Yeah, I think that particularly once they showed that Menk male, I think it was, I think it was a, a guy putting the blood samples in particular groupings, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, he's realizing something here and this is going yeah. uh, to have something to do with the Menk anyway. What about Vlachian culture then? I guess, what would you say, present day Earth? Or maybe a couple of decades behind us? Probably right around where we are, within within probably about 50 years either way. 
Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the warp drive issue first. I was a bit surprised that Starfleet seemingly don't have any guidelines about that. Yeah. Uh, that Archer can work off of. Because Archer seems to suggest that he has the power to make that decision. I mean, does that surprise you? A little bit. But then again, I think Starfleet was thinking, you know, hey, you know, we've got a we've got a civilization that's already met warp cultures, but they haven't been given the warp technology yet. So let's not be like the Vulcans. Let's go ahead and help them out type of thing. But here Archer kind of, mm. you know, zigs where, where they were thinking he would, he would zag. I think you're right. I think that, yeah, Starfleet would have probably wanted to do the opposite of, of the Vulcans and yeah, provided anyone with help that they would need. I think that uh, well, Archer says, doesn't he, in the episode? You know, he thinks he's finally starting to understand how the Vulcans felt mm-hmm. uh, when they came to Earth. So, and that's a that's a big deal for Archer to <laughs> to admit that, particularly season one Archer. Let's let's talk a little bit about the the main thing then. So, Flox has found a cure mm-hmm. for the the illness. Um, were you surprised how easily Flox decided to condemn fifty million Valakians to die? He was set yeah. in his decision, and it did not even seem. Like a difficult decision. That's my take. I'd say for him, he was looking at it from more of an evolutionary perspective. And that's how it was easier for him. Because I think if you looked at it as from a strictly physician standpoint, he would want to to save as many people as possible. How about evolution then? What's your feelings on evolution, Chris? I don't know about any beliefs you hold with regards to creation and anything like that. So, I mean, where, where do you sit? I do see evolution as sort of a process that it, that has helped along. Though I do believe in creation, I think the creation started the, the evolutionary path. I drive Katie mad because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm like a um, a flat earther or something <laughs> <laughs> when I say this because I find it somewhat embarrassing. But I I'm not sure. It's not that I'm not sure. I don't believe in evolution, and I know that there's like. I guess, proof allegedly out there uh, of evolution. Because as Flock says in this episode, you know, evolution isn't a theory, it's a, a scientific fact. But I just struggle to make sense of it sometimes. Like, I can't work out how the body... You know, you say, oh, we don't need these this part of our physiology anymore because we we live in this part of land and the weather's like yeah. this and such. Or, you know, or, no, we're not in water anymore, so we don't need gills or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's all cool, but how would... How would my children's body know that? And how would their... If it's such a slow process going on, the genes don't communicate. They're not having a chat, you know, uh, with each other. So I'm always trying to wrap my head around this idea that how could evolution even possibly happen? Surely, if I am a woman pregnant, having a baby, then I am creating another human. My body is designed to create another human. It needs a heart. It needs two lungs. That's what my body's programmed to do. So how can... How can you get every single human woman to then suddenly their genes decide that, um, oh, we don't need gills anymore? You know, like, yeah. I can't. Like, why, why have we still got our appendix? If evolution is real and the appendix doesn't do anything, how have we still got our appendix? How yeah. long ago did the appendix actually do something useful, uh, worthwhile? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And I don't know. So I struggle with that side of it, mate. And I know, like I said... Makes me a flat earther kind of guy, but <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around it. And sometimes, I mean, I'm not even religious, so uh, my fa- my whole actually family for generations uh, above me are religious or were religious at one time. But so I grew up ar- around that as a young child, but I never uh, never pursued it into like 
my teens or later. So I'm not sure what my feelings are on creation as a result of that. But at the same time, I, I seem to be trying to merge like creation with evolution, yeah. trying to make sense. Like you said, you believe there was a creation that started the process. So I guess maybe that's the way to juggle both mm-hmm. theories. But I actually, this is just weird that we're having this conversation now, but I spoke to Katie maybe a day or two ago. It's hard to tell in this lockdown world because <laughs> every, every day is the same. So I lose track of when certain things happen. I said to her, I said, if creation was real... So I said, if, you know, if, if God created man, I said, well, how do they explain dinosaurs? Wasn't it like on the seventh day God created man or uh, what, sixth day? I think it was the sixth. Oh, yeah, sixth day, yeah. So I was like, well, if you create the planet and all those other days, like, what about the dinosaurs? And I don't think Kate was sure, but she said, didn't, she said, don't, don't some of these um, um, religious beliefs don't believe dinosaurs, mm-hmm. in dinosaurs? And I was like, well, we've got bones for them. So they must have existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have any... I guess they've... I don't know how you can really date that kind of stuff, but they're able to date the uh, bones. Carbon and I guess dating. That carbon dating then. And I guess we don't have any evidence yet of humans living at the same time. And I guess we, we have the proof of the uh, the comets that hit uh, the asteroids, sorry. I think there's... Isn't it in Mexico? Uh, yeah, like right, right the, the Yucatan crater. Peninsula. Yeah. Um, see, you have all this information, man. I just I just knew it was around Mexico way. So they think they've got the crater of what uh, killed off the dinosaurs. So presumably we couldn't have been there. So that all that just comes into this like confusion I have over evolution and whether it is possibly real. And uh, it's like I'm trying to balance the a load of theories that I don't believe in. Like, why am I trying to balance the idea of evolution with the idea of creation? Why am I trying to balance creation with the dinosaurs and like and dinosaurs with evolution i'm like i don't i don't bloody believe in um in in a god at this point in my life i you know I, um i hope i do but uh one day i'm always open to yeah. to everything uh, so just because i don't believe in something right now doesn't mean i won't find something later in life and uh Maybe it'd give me some bloody direction in my life, I'll tell you that. But but the dinosaurs, we know, I know they were real. I'm, I'm sounding so stupid now to everyone listening to this. Like Also, like, how can you be a Trekkie and not believe in evolution? But <laughs> I know they've got human skeletons that are shorter, mm-hmm. even going back only three or 400 years ago. I think I've seen something recently that said, like, they've got bones from 120 years ago that suggest that men have grown by, like, five centimeters on average yeah. uh, in the last century. But I'm just, how can that happen? How can something in the last century tell every single woman on the planet, giving birth to a boy, something in his genes there is going to make him grow five centimeters more? I just can't work out how that works. Blows my mind trying to think about it. I I think I overthink it. That's, I think, the problem. I I overthink it. So to buy into Flox's dilemma here, Archer's dilemma, I have to buy into evolution and this idea that it may that the bank are going to evolve uh, in a thousand or more years given they're quite intelligent already doesn't a thousand years seem really far away for them to reach that point like are they worth it when it's that long i think the way that flox is seeing it is as if the mink evolved without really remembering anything from before just like a natural progression but i think it would be sped up 
knowing about the Valakian technology and everything and, and using it that way. Yeah, so I guess if we looked at a timeline, Valakians would have 200 years. They die out at times of war and I guess times of illness like this. Mm-hmm. Science tends to develop faster and medicine. So let's say 200 years, they've got capability of what Starfleet have got in Enterprise. Yeah. So that's just left behind. The Menk who have become smarter already, only once they were exposed to this stuff though. I guess if the yeah. Valakians were keep them away from everything and the Menk wouldn't have an opportunity to develop properly until the Vlakians were gone. You know, when the food stops coming and things, I yeah. guess they'll go out from their areas, explore cities, find ships, find cars, find cookers, you know, all these yeah. things. They'll learn it very quickly, I guess. And then what, put in 800 plus years on that then? Going by all that logic, I think it'd be quicker. Yeah. That it'd be less than a thousand years because I thought they seemed advanced already. But I mean, do you think though that if it's that far away, as Archer said, this was Archer's debate with Flocks. The Vlakians are here right now. Yeah. They're asking for help right now. The Menk may, in a thousand years, have evolved to be the dominant species and the only humanoid species. But we don't know that something won't wipe them out. You know, what's what's going to stop an asteroid from hitting that planet yeah. and causing a uh, death of everyone? So were the Menk worth it for you? Were they worth 50 million Vlakian lives? I don't think we find out how many Menk there are. But... Do we find out how many Menk there are? At, at this point in time and i don't think we do it's gotta be less yeah but there there again if if there aren't as many mank then here you are taking the needs of the few over the needs of the many i, th- I think you have to look at the here and now don't you yeah you can't think about the future because right now you have people asking for help yeah and they're they're, they're you know asking you know at this exact moment because they don't want to see their civilization crumble basically a compromise that, that probably could have come about was like, hey, we'll give you, you know, the stuff to kind of ease everybody's symptoms and everything, but you teach up these mink and see how they they get smarter and maybe they can also help you out finding a cure on your own. Yeah, I'm gonna. Well, I'm actually going to touch on that uh, later with another question because I think there's uh, some, some potential that mink could have helped. But yeah, I, I kind of think, look, we're talking about a thousand years time there's not a single person on this planet alive right now uh, who will be alive then. Yeah. These are theoretical. We don't even know what the Menk are going to be like. The Menk could be a horrific, evil species once yeah. they've evolved more. We don't know how uh, how aggressive they could become, predatory, once they become the predators on the planet. They're in a very submissive role right now. But I've got a species of 50 million plus people here asking for my help. Mm-hmm. Let's pause on that discussion for okay. a minute then and jump on to... Uh, Archer obviously had to make the decision and we didn't see his struggle with the decision. We never saw any of that because yeah. the episode was told from Flox's perspective. So uh, we just find that Archer has decided that uh, he won't play God. He's going to, he's not going to give the cure. Did Archer make the correct decision? Since we don't have a follow up to it, that's one of the great unknowns, but I believe he got convinced that he, what he was doing was the right thing be it through trip or to pull either one of those probably more so to pull because i think trip would be like no let's let's try and get these people help this is the problem i think there's a scene missing Mm -hmm. we needed to see archer having this discussion with to paul yeah or to paul would have come down on the side that flox was on yeah i think um trip wouldn't have at all trip would have been very much here and now Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I think, I think literally the whole episode was from... Oh no, there was a couple of scenes from Archer's perspective, actually. So, yeah. like in the hospitals. So they could have 
we could have worked something in. Yeah, I think it would have been really important to see that. So, um, should we see what people said on Twitter? Yeah. So, Twitter, Patreon, we've got, I've just got two comments we're going to read out. On Twitter, at Perry064 said, yes, they did, in regards to did Flox and Archer make the right decision. Uh, and they say, once they proved it was evolutional and not environmental, it is no longer their concern. The Federation cannot be justifying the evolutionary course of a people. Sucks. But Flox was right. I mean, where do you stand on those comments from Perry 064? I can understand, you know, their 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 point of view, but the, the trip in me is like, these people need help now. Yeah, I think so. The, I mean, this opens up a whole thing about the Federation. Yeah. And is that policy right of non-interference once you realize, I think the issue as well, because they're pre-warp. Mm-hmm. So... Would the Federation do differently if they did have warp technology as well? Because we know that they once once a species has warp, the Federation are like, "Hey, hey, you." Yeah, we can we can help you out. But yeah, but since since they had already come in contact yeah. with with two others, and name drop on the Ferengi on this one, by the way, that were warp capable, it makes it even more of a gray area. But more so, pushing it towards actually helping them. I'm a here and now. As I'm saying it, I'm a here and now guy, and I don't think I would be able to agree with that that federation principle. I guess yeah. it's one of the founding. <laughs> it's one of the biggest principles. But uh, I try to think of like Michael. What would Michael Burnham do? And she is a stickler for the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know she breaks them, but like she knows that Starfleet Charter, all, all of that stuff. And I feel like she would choose to help now. Oh no, maybe she wouldn't. Yeah. Oh my God, Chris, I can't. <laughs> I can't work out. This is this is a hard one after twenty years. Um, so we have um, a longer comment from uh, from Greg, who's one of our uh, patrons. Uh, so thanks for sending this comment in, Greg. Um, Greg says um, he hadn't seen the episode for a while, so we'll we'll keep this um, keep that in mind. So he says I don't really have much to say, uh, and I haven't seen the episode in a while, but I always felt the Berman era of Trek took the Prime Directive too seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get they aren't out there to play God, but to say no to civilizations on the brink of disasters or diseases just seems wrong. I've been watching DS9 lately, and I watched statistical probabilities. In that episode, you had the Jack Pack come up with scenarios all saying that the Federation was going to lose the war and they should just surrender. Cisco didn't buy it because he was in the present and surrender was not an option. Mm-hmm. They could lose, but they have to die trying. I see the situation kind of similar in Dear Doctor. If I remember correctly, Flock says that that one race should die out. Who is to say what kind of evolution they should or shouldn't have? Maybe they have come up with a cure themselves, or there are technological advances in the future so that race doesn't die out. You can't live in the future. You have to live in the present. And that's from Greg, one of our very loyal patrons. Patreon.com forward slash NX01podcast for anyone who wants to join Greg. Okay, I think Greg's comments lean much closer to my own views yeah. on this, Chris. I mean, what was your thoughts listening to that? Yeah, de- def- definitely same here, especially bringing in uh, statistical probabilities too, because even in there, they were saying it would take like a thousand years, but the Federation would oversee the Dominion. I think the, the argument's quite right. It's the here and now. If we're talking about the... Valakians potentially finding a cure themselves one day mm-hmm. or finding someone else to help them. If we're hoping that could happen, then why aren't we just going to help them now? Yeah. Because surely the argument that 
Archer makes that he's going to have to remember that they're not there to play God. Isn't he playing God by withholding the cure? I would think so. Now, I do I do have a, a, a sort of follow-on questions for you on this one. How do you think each of the other doctors in the series would have handled this? Different than Phlox. Ooh, I hadn't thought of it this way. I had, an, I had a similar question, which I'll ask you right after this then. Okay. Okay, so Bones... <coughs> oh. Bones would have helped them, mm-hmm. I think. Although you're the TOS expert, so you yeah. might feel differently. I mean, do you think Bones would have helped the Valakians? Yeah, I, I think he would have, yeah. Crusher, she would have deferred to Picard, I think. She wouldn't have been quite so forceful with her opinions, but I think Mm -hmm. she... Oh, maybe she would have come down in support of the Menk. She would have, I think, tried to find other options, whereas Flocks and the NX-01 Enterprise just fly off. Yeah. um, Because there's no other options as far as they saw it. I think Crusher would look for more. Bashir... Uh, later on, Bashir, I guess like um, Dominion War onwards, Bashir, I think he would have gone in favour of the Menk. Okay. But I think early Bashir would have wanted to get a cure for the for the Valakians. But I do think Bashir would have very quickly discovered what the issue was. Yeah. I think he would have shown an interest in the Menk quite quick. The EMH... I think the Doctor probably would have gone the Flocks route. What, what about Culber? Ah, uh, Culber. Mm. Oh, I mean, I can see both ways with Culber. Culber doesn't want anyone to suffer now. Yeah. But also, Culber is very much about letting people grow and become who they're meant to be without needing to listen to anyone else, you know, give people space to feel and, and grow and develop. So maybe that would say that he actually would be in complete favour of the Menk having that opportunity I think Culber would be a bit like Crusher. They'd be really trying to find other... Other avenues. Yeah, other avenues. It's not just a case of black or white. I think they'd be in the grey trying to find a way around it. I mean, what do you think the Doctors would do? I think Crusher would uh, defer to, to Picard there. But I think Pulaski would actually try to give him the cure and find it. Based on everything that we've learned uh, or we learn about Bashir within within the seven years there... When it comes down to this, I think he'd actually be more like when he was trying to help the Jem'Hadar break their uh, dependence mm. on the Ketracel White. So I, I'd say he would he would be on the the side of the Valakians. The EMH, I think, actually probably all of his his ethical stuff would actually probably have him favor the Mink more than the Valakians. Well, yeah, and he's essentially programmed by the Prime mm. Directive, isn't he? So. What Culber then? Culber, I think, would actually probably give them a little bit more, or a little bit more of the the medicine to to ease the symptoms. So probably like twenty years worth, maybe twenty five. To Anna, I think she would just do what Pulaski did. Yeah, she's very similar, isn't she, to Pulaski? So, uh, so you're saying then that Bones, Pulaski, Bashir save the Valakians? Yes. Crusher would. Just completely defer to Picard. Oh, sorry, you're saying Tana as well then. Sorry, would yeah. also try out. So the EMH is the only one you'd say cut and dry would. Even me and you can't agree <laughs> on it. So question for you, which I was going to ask then, is what would the captains do? The other captains? Kirk would, would try to help them out as best he could, even if that did mean, you know, getting that cure to them. Picard, since they are pre-warp, he would follow the prime directive. Cisco would want to help out. Janeway, how much coffee has she had? <laughs> are we talking you know early in or are we talking year of hell janeway are we talking later on 
Year of Hell Janeway is complete badass. Let's go with Janeway later on. Okay. Um, I think la- later on, she she would probably tell the EMH to give them, you know, the 20 to 25 years worth of the medicine and also how to, mm. or, you know, kind of give them little hints on how to, to make it themselves. I think Saru would kind of see it as similar to Kaminar and would probably not want Culver to, or, well, actually probably would, would want Culver to interfere, considering how, how the Ba'ul kind of took over the Kelpians. That's a good point. I just thought that. And then uh, Freeman. I think Freeman w- would probably give them five years worth of it. <laughs> and then someone would give them the wrong, the wrong cure anyway, uh, the wrong medicine and all that. <laughs> That's interesting to think, isn't it? Of those perspectives, like mm-hmm. what would they, what would they all do? Okay, so I've got about two or three more questions. Okay. I guess first one along the same lines. If this had been the 24th century Starfleet, as we know them, mm-hmm. would they have given the cure, but on the provision that the Menk's living arrangements changes? So would they have left a ship or representatives around and said, we'll give you this cure, but these Menk now need to be given fertile land. We're going to find them a, a country or something uh, that they can go into and let them develop on their own free of this. Yeah, I, th- I think there w- there would have been a trade off there, especially since they had already come in contact with warp civilizations. It does kind of remove a little bit of the prime directive sting to it. Yeah, I think that part of the decision making here for Archer is kind of forced by the fact there's no other ships to send by. I mean, they could have maybe got some Vulcans, but maybe maybe they kept that information on hand, and then a hundred years later, fifty years later, they did just that. They went and said, "Look, you know." We're going to stay around. We're going to make sure you keep your words. You're secure. Yeah. But we want these men to have... An, I want to free them, essentially, from... Not that they're in slavery, but... Not that they're entirely being oppressed, but... But then again, you know, they, they probably didn't know any better. Well, this is what I was going to say. Like, I mean, the men seem happy with the arrangement. So... Yeah. Should Archer and Phlox really have been... Because I know they said the men are evolving, and we have to let them have that opportunity to see what, what becomes of them. But if the men are happy with the arrangement, even if they don't know any better, is... Who are Archer and Phlox to say, well, that arrangement needs to change as it goes on? Because aren't we enforcing our own views, our own way of life on these people? Yeah, it, it, it kind of seems seems that, that that's the way that it is. It's one of those where if they, they were able to, you know, kind of provide the cure with the stipulations, I think the mink would have realized, oh, hey, we are kind of a little bit subservient. But since they needed the cure, they're now giving us, you know, probably our proper status within the, the society. Do you think the Valakians ever did find a cure? And if so, uh, what do you think the future would have held for them and the Menk sharing their planet? Let's think long-term future as well. If they found the future within within that decade, or if they found the future, found the cure within that decade, I think they would have realized, hey, you know, let, let's actually try to speed up the Menk since they did kind of help us or, you know, figure out how to get us the cure. I'd say probably about 100 years later, if they didn't go ahead and increase them to the same level societal-wise, there definitely probably would have been a conflict between the two. That's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah. That there would have been. But if they built it into where they were societal equals, then I don't think that would have been an issue. We have to acknowledge, I guess, that in some ways they already were in a conflict with each other. Just the Menk didn't know it. Yeah. The Valakians made a conscious decision to not let the Menk live on fertile land, for example. They wanted to control the Menk 
And yes, they were giving them everything they wanted and needed. They weren't withholding anything. They were withholding, I guess, the idea of freedom and freedom to develop in their own natural way. Yeah. And so I guess the Vlakins were oppressing them, essentially, not in a violent way, but certainly in a conscious way. In, you know, keeping knowledge from them. If we're going to say that the Menk were going to develop you know, stronger brain power and capabilities as time went on, if they were being denied those things by the Valakians, one would argue that the Menk would probably become a more aggressive species due to frustration. It's like um, if you have a really smart child and they're not being challenged yeah. by the work you're giving them, the task, their, their behavior changes. If the kid in the class is smarter than everyone else, he or she or they they will become the troublemaker in the class. Yeah. Not because they're not intelligent, but because they're too intelligent for the work you're doing. So if the Menk find themselves in that situation, they're going to lash out. And the, the Valakians will have created a problem for themselves just by the sheer fact that they were withholding things. So I think I think you're right. I think a conflict would have been there down the road between them. A couple of hundred years, I think, away. Mm-hmm. I don't know who would have won that conflict. You, you'd have to assume Valakians based on... All their technology. But I mean, I can also see the Valakians being a member of the Federation. Yeah. But then also the Valakians would not be allowed into the Federation. Due to... Yeah, on the principle of they are oppressed in these species. Flox highlights it, doesn't he? He seems fine with the general relationship yeah. between them because the men can't bothered. But he says the crew have issues with it and the Federation are essentially based on human values mm-hmm. about slavery and things like that. So couldn't be a Federation member with that carrying on. I think there's so much here. It's, it's so much to discuss. I mean, this episode for us has gone on much longer than I... Anticipated, yeah. I think we could sit here for another hour going round and round in, in circles and still not be able to make any decisions. But I'm going to ask you to try and make one now. And that is, definitively, what would you have done if you were Jonathan Archer having to decide whether to provide the Valakins with a cure that would save the species but would stop, potentially, because we don't know, mm-hmm. stop the Menk from developing the way that they would if the Valakins were allowed to die out as evolution was seeming to require them to? I would have actually given them the cure on the condition that they start challenging mentally the mink and also, you know, trying to get them to be more equal so that way they can use both species' abilities together to the full potential of the planet. How would you have enforced that, though? In the 22nd century, you don't have any ships? I would probably go ahead and start out giving them, you know, two decades worth of the medicine to ease the symptoms because at that point then that gives earth plenty of time to get the federation around get better ships get more ships to kind of come out and then enforce it and then right at that 20 year mark or sooner depending on, on when that had happened then go ahead and kick in with the cure and make sure that we've got people there and maybe even go ahead and send a diplomatic corps out at that point in time too to kind of keep relations going yeah i'm very similar to you i think i would have provided the cure i decided that now i think as it's gone on yeah. and i could not have lived knowing that 50 million people could die well more than that it's not just them it's children and the future generations would die of an illness that i had a cure to and that i wasn't providing based on a a what if. Yeah. Because even like Flock says, he's he's adamant that evolution is fact and this will happen, but you don't know what disaster event could strike the planet before that. You know, you don't, another illness could go through the mech. I know they, Flock's argument is that we should just let nature decide, but I don't think you can live with the... Because it's blood on your hands. I mean, that they're hoping that the Valakians find the cure or that another species comes and helps them so that they don't make the decision. Yeah, they're pawning it off on the next passerby. Basically, yeah, because they're not ensuring that nature decides. Yeah. They just don't want any part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to be part of it. But if the Ferengi come back, as they were name <laughs> dropped in the episode, if the Ferengi come with a cure and charge a arm and a leg <laughs> to provide it, that's fine because we didn't have to decide. 
so yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. I guess maybe uh, maybe Discovery can give us the answer. Yeah. Because it'll be a thousand years later, so maybe they can go to Valakis. Can you imagine if they did that? That would be some serious Trek knowledge mm-hmm. on the writing team if, uh, if they went that way. So we both agreed then that we would have provided the cure and hoped that we could have done something to make the situation better for the Menk, but truthfully, it wouldn't be our concern. Our right. concern is saving immediate lives. Yeah? Correct. Look at that. We came to an agreement. Yeah. Can't fault it. So now that you've heard what myself and Chris would do, tell us what you would do. You can hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at NX01podcast, and tell us, would you have provided the cure to the Valakians, or would you have let evolution run its course, but based on what-ifs? Yeah, I'm going to say, and if you guys have a, have a mic or anything, you can actually record your voice, and we can pop it into a podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Send it into us. Uh, we are nx01podcast at gmail.com. Send us your audio file of uh, what you would have done. And we'll chuck it in a upcoming episode. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast to view our subscription tiers. Benefits of becoming a patron include earlier access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we will be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details for this podcast episode. On December 16th, 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Star Trek Enterprise novel, Sirach's Soul. This is the third original Enterprise novel, following by the book and What Price Honor, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss on December 16th, then please dig out your copy of Sirach's Soul or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club discussion. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01 Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. It's too much effort and I'm busy. I gotta get this done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had stuff to do. He had logs to plant. He had a ship to take over. 
He had an entire plot to uh, to fill out and make everyone think that he needed to have a trial for mutiny <laughs> because that will distract everyone long enough for them to get to Talispor. He's busier than Prince Humperdinck. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Starpod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. So we're seeing that the early Star Trek conventions were were a nice balance between science fiction and real world science. And that was cool because the, because a lot of uh, Star Trek fans are interested in science, and a lot of, and I mean all of those um, science guests that were there probably were Star Trek fans, and and they they probably even said that that they got into to science because of their love of Star Trek. Loading Holosuite preview program for the Vedic Assembly. A Deep Space Nine podcast. We don't know what that Cardassian technology is, but it could, yeah. Do we need to know? No, nah. we don't need to right, know. Just some bit know. of self-stealing, self-sealing stem bolts. Yes, it wants those self-sealing stem bolts. And <laughs> Somebody wants them. <laughs> because self-sealing, you guys. Yes. I mean, it's not just a regular stem bolt. <laughs> I don't know why you don't get why these are so valuable. Okay. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.